to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, April 12th. Unfortunately, rain washed away most of our day's action at the year's first ATP Masters 1000 event happening on clay in Monte Carlo. Now, fortunately for us tennis fans, we had a full day of action in part two of our two-week swing through Charleston on the WTA Tour. On today's podcast, I want to preview both of this week's ATP and WTA level events, talk about the biggest storylines heading into them, talk about the players I will be watching most closely. Closely. Of course, I also want to touch on the three ATP Challenger events happening this week, in particular, the return of North American Challenger Tennis, the return of Mike Cation in our ears as he is broadcasting this week's Challenger happening in Orlando. That's our agenda for today's podcast. Talk about Charleston, talk about Monte Carlo, talk about the Challengers. Also, not quite a rant, more an observation on the disparities you can see right now between Tennis Abstract's clay ELO ratings, again, those ratings specifically ranking players based on their clay court results, and again, an ELO rating based on who you're playing, not when or where you're playing them. Of course, the actual ATP and WTA rankings assign points based on your result in specific events. So that's my end, I suppose, observation of today's podcast. That's going to be the focus here today. If you want to hear more about this past weekend's championship action. I recorded an earlier podcast covering all of those matches, call it covering the most notable supporters. You can find that show either on our website, crackrackets.com, or of course by just scrolling up on your podcast feed. Uh, if you have missed any of the action on the ATP Challenger college tennis world and you want to hear more about that, rest assured we've got great shot podcasts coming up for you later this week. David Gertler going to join me to talk uh, Challenger action. Matt Stokowiak, Chris Halliores, as always, going to join me to talk about the college tennis world. So rest assured, we have everything covered for you here this week at Cracked Rackets. Of course, the reason we're able to do all of this day in, day out because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. You want to update your gear, get all of the best equipment at all of the best prices? Check out our friends at MidwestSports.com. You use the promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you will get uh, free uh, two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, 15% off your order, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, I'm going to switch up the order of events. Usually, I start with the women's action today. I'm going to start with the men's action since it's an ATP Masters 1000 event in Monte Carlo. I sent out a tweet earlier in the week, uh, earlier in the week, excuse me, earlier in the day on our Cracked Rackets account listing some of the biggest storylines heading into this week's event. I'm going to start there and then get to the results that we've seen thus far, but Look, I think the storyline all of us are monitoring heading into this event, given that, you know, looming in the background, delayed by a week, is the French Open. And, of course, with the shifting of the seasons from hard courts to clay courts, inevitably, the French Open uh, becomes, or I suppose, comes up in the mind of all tennis fans. 
the biggest storyline is the return of Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. Now, Djokovic has been sensational here early in this 2021 season. You look for Djokovic, obviously. Uh, the man has not lost a match. He ripped through the eight, uh, the Australian Open. He obviously was stellar in that final against Daniil Medvedev. He elects not to play in Miami. He's well-rested, and we see him on the grounds already. If you followed all of the action, clearly itching, it seems, to get into this week's event. He's the number one seed. Now, surprisingly, not your number two seed, but your number three seed here this week. Everyone's favorite, or I suppose every sane person's favorite, heading into the French Open. Rafael Nadal, who is by ranking the number three player in the world now and thus the number three seed here in this week's event. You look for Nadal. He has also not played since playing in the Australian Open. Of course, the difference between him and Novak Djokovic. For Djokovic, he wins the title. For Rafael Nadal, it was a quarterfinal loss in five sets to Stefano Tsitsipas. None of that matters, though, right? Now that we're on the dirt, given just the way Rafa absolutely demolished everyone on his path to last year's French Open title. Didn't drop a set and, you know, beat... Korda, Sinner, Schwartzman, Djokovic, all in convincing fashion to earn yet another French Open title on his resume. Of course, if he wins this year's French Open title, he'll have 21 Grand Slams. That would make him the men's leader in all-time single slams in the Open era. Uh, That's obviously a storyline all of us are going to be excited to cover come the fortnight in Paris, but... You know, for both of these guys, for Djokovic, you look at his draw here uh, this week at this event. It's still relatively open, uh, you know, early in the event. You look for him here. The number one seed will face the winner. Actually, first round, things get exciting for him. He'll have either Ramos Vinoles, who is a guy, Tennis Abstract's ELO rating, uh, rating values much more than his actual ATP ranking. Of course, last week we saw him make the semifinal in Marbella, so he comes in with good form here in Monte Carlo. Carlo, but he's got the test of all tests, the star of all young stars, Yannick Sinner, uh, the Miami Open finalist, beginning his clay campaign against Ramos Vinoles. Of course, you know, you think about a guy like Ramos Vinoles who wants to make a match physical, who's going to give you some chances to attack, but is going to try and change direction, keep you in the outer thirds of the court. Does he have the weapons to hurt Yannick Sinner? Sinner was a quarterfinalist last year on the French Open. If you give him even an extra half second, he's going to make Make you pay. Obviously, that Sinner Djokovic matchup, I think that's something all of us tennis fans would look forward to, something we would desire. It's a tough start for, for Djokovic, and then from there, he would probably get, you know, the seed is Hubi Hercats, your Miami Open champion, or, you know, potentially the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic, Dan Evans, a lingerer in his quarter of the draw. Uh, of course, the number five seed there also in his quarter, Alex Zverev, who will face the winner of last week's champion in Cagliari, Lorenzo Sinego, and one of the best players through the first third of the season, Marton Fucevic. You also have Gofen, Cecinato Kopfer in that top quarter. So, Things certainly not easy to kick things off for Novak Djokovic. One could argue Alex Virov played Djokovic closest of any player in Australia. 
would be fun to see them play from a tennis standpoint on the court this early in the season. Of course, for Rafa, your number three seed, he's in the same uh, you know same half of the draw as Daniil Medvedev in the same quarter as number six seed Andre Rublev, who was damn good on the clay last year. What he win in Rome in Berlin, and if he didn't win it, he lost in the final maybe to uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. I know he lost his quarterfinal match at the French Open to Tsitsipas. Let's see here for Andre Rublev, who obviously. Obviously, 46-11 and 11 since the tour restarted in August. It was Hamburg. He beat Tsitsipas in the Hamburg final. That was a three-set match. Then lost to Tsitsipas in the quarterfinals of the French Open. Also a three-set match. Pretty good for Andre Rublev on the clay court. Certainly, when you think of his game traditionally, you think of the success he has had on hard courts. But Andre Rublev quietly in his career uh, on clay courts. In clay court matches, he is 67 and 49. It's not that many matches considering uh, how long, how, many, how long I suppose his pro career now has been. You look at the ATP level, 25 and 18. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, the Hamburg final in 2019, Hamburg title in 2020, Roland Garros quarterfinal in 2020. He's had a lot of success of late. You know, he beat. Over the past two years, he's beaten Garen, Rude, Team, Karina Busta, uh, Bautista Agut, Rude again, Tsitsipas, Davidovich Fokina, Fucevic. Darn good wins. So, you know, certainly if that's Rafa's eventual quarterfinal match, that's one all of us can look forward to as well. Before then, you know, Rafa would have to get through the slate of Manorino or Del Bonis, potentially a Bublik or a Dimitrov. Yeah. I mean, things get rocking and rolling for both of these top seeds right away. You look at the number two seeds, you know, the other, I suppose, storylines moving beyond Nadal and Djokovic. Can Daniil Medvedev find his footing on the clay? You look for Medvedev last season, and you can kind of throw last season out the window, right, because of how quick that transition was from the U.S. Open to the clay courts because of the fact that, you know, for Medvedev, he made such a deep run in both of the events in New York, really did not have any time to rest or just give himself time to train on clay. He lost both of his matches. It was, you know, a straight set last to Ugo Umber in Hamburg. It was... A four-set loss in the first round of Roland Garros to Fucevic. You look thus far at the ATP level in his career on clay. Medvedev, you know, 10-18. and 18. And even dating back to 2019, Monte Carlo was where he had his one big run on clay. He beat Tsitsipas in three. He beat Djokovic in three before losing to the Deuce in the semifinals. He then follows that up with a run to the Barcelona final the next week, beating, you know, taking advantage of a pretty soft draw. Ramos Vinoles, Mackie McDonald, Nicolas Jerry, who was playing much better at the time, beats Nishikori before losing to Dominic Team. But he's now lost his last six matches at the ATP level on clay. Now, you know, context is king. Lost to team, then a three-set loss to Paya, three-set loss to Kyrgios, five-set loss to Airbear, straight-set loss to Umber, four-set loss to Fucevic. All of those losses can be explained away, and you look at the metrics for Daniil Medvedev, he has made in those, so in those 28 clay court matches, you know, 10 and 18, he's made 55% of his first serves. That trails his career number for Daniil Medvedev. Uh, Let's see what Daniil Medvedev's career number is in ATP level matches. I apologize. I'm toggling here between tabs. Daniil Medvedev for his career has made 60% 
of his first serves right now on clay, he's at 55%. He's won 66% of his first serves on clay for his career. He's at 75% for his career. He's at 52% on clay. Second serve percentage, that's the same number now. The big numbers, his hold percentage and break percentages are 73% and 22.5%. So he holds 73% of the time which is not nearly, uh, you know, that's uh, on clay, and he breaks 22.5% of the time versus his career averages, uh, which are significantly better than that, 82.7% and 25.6%. So he just hasn't found his footing uh, on the clay courts, and, you know, his plus one ball is a little bit less effective, and, you know, he does like to play low and fat, uh, low and fat, low and flat, excuse me, I suppose, you know, it is a little bit harder for him to penetrate the ball, uh, penetrate the clay court. At the same time, when you watch Daniil Medvedev play with his length, with his ability, and I think his improvement on the first serve, I literally do think him making 5% of, more of his first serves, the margins are that thin in men's tennis. That can make the difference between holding and losing a game at deuce. The progression of his first serve will help him on this surface, and he has got gotten better with his plus one ball. And he's a guy who does really well changing direction, but he's also a guy who thrives when he's on his back foot. And it's a lot easier to move around and negotiate a hard court when you're on your back foot than it is a clay court because of how much more difficult it is to change direction. And he's a guy who's good, not great with his movement on clay, although I think he will continue to get better. Again, he's become a more complete player. He's more comfortable moving forward. He's more comfortable playing plus one tennis, which you really do have to do on clay courts. You have to be the one dictating the terms of play in each and every point because, again, being on your back foot, trying to change directions, the kiss of death. And so Medvedev finding his footing. Again, Monte Carlo is where his first breakthrough run on the claim clay came in 2019. If he can get things rocking and rolling, he's lost his last six matches on clay. I'll say that stat again. Um, you look for the draw here immediately. He faced the winner of Krajinovic or Basilashvili. Those are two winnable matches. You know, his seed in his section, number 15 seed Fabio Fognini, who lost an early match last week to Haumi Munar, who has to get through Miamir Kasmenovic before even thinking about getting close to Daniil Medvedev. It's a favorable draw. He will have two matches to find his rhythm. Excuse me, before he would face his potential seed in Diego Schwartzman or even a Kaspar Ruud, a Pablo Carreno Busta, a Karen Hechanov, Laszlo Jure, all in that section of the draw. But the Medvedev question is a big one, certainly heading into uh, this year's French Open because he's probably going to be, you know, I mean, he's certainly going to be a top four seed. Uh, Can he hold seed? He's probably the one. If the top four seeds are Djokovic, Nadal, Medvedev, and team, under the premise that very rarely do all four of the top four seeds make the semifinals, who's the top four seed you're picking to get upset? Probably Daniil Medvedev. That's why he's one of the biggest storylines. You know, Lorenzo Musetti already lost his match. Match this week uh, just got hit off the court by a very, very much uh, in form. Uh, I'm blanking on the name here. Very much in form Aslan Karatsev, who we'll get to when we talk about the results. But, you know, Holger Rune, another guy who's had a lot of success on the clay, made a quarterfinal down in South America, has been pretty good on the futures and challenger circuit. He's got Casper Rude, who all, you know, 
despite the loss to Carlos Alcaraz in last week's quarterfinal, is still a guy I think can make the round of 16 at the French Open, depending on his draw. You know, you've, in terms of the usual next-gen crew, that's the next next-gen, but you've got the Medvedevs uh, of the world, the Zverevs, Tsitsipas's, Rublevs of the world now, all highly seeded. You've got guys like Sasha Bublik and Alexei Paparin, Alejandro Davidovich, Fokina, trying to capture and uh, capitalize on some of the momentum they've built already early in the season. Guys like Hercats and, you know, Fucevic and uh, I mentioned Paparin and Bublik. Can that tran- the hard court success they have translate to a different surface? Fucevic, the exception, but, you know, a guy like Bublik, a guy like Paparin, they haven't had much success on the clay courts thus far in their career. So seeing how they transition, or at least at the ATP level, so how they transition uh, certainly will determine their ceilings moving forward. Can they, you know, certainly be kind of, we know what they can do on hard courts, but to be a top 30 player, you got to do it across surfaces. I think Bublik's got the serve, the skill set, the ability to move forward. And I think Popperin as well, they're going to be good on hard courts. They're going to be good on grass courts, but Clay's that missing piece. If you want to be able to put up the results to be a consistent top 30 player, uh, those are all guys to monitor. How Hubie, you know, handles the pressure coming off of his master's title now being a top 20 player. I'm fascinated to see that because I think his skill set certainly can translate here on clay. Uh, Yeah, you know, those are the biggest storylines, I would say, heading into this week's Monte Carlo action. I'm sure I'm missing some. And by the way, if you feel I missed any, please feel free to tweet at me at GreatShotPod. Please feel free to DM me. Please feel free to tweet at us at Cracked Rackets. But those would be my biggest storylines. In terms of the results we've seen thus far, let's talk about Aslan Karatsev. I teased that a little bit at the beginning, but Karatsev, 3-4 and victory over a very much informed Lorenzo Musetti, and simply put, you know, Musetti's athleticism is outstanding. He can get away with playing 10 feet behind the baseline against a lot of players because, A, you think you can drop shot him. Absolutely not. He's going to track that ball down, hit an approach shot by you. He's got great hands at the net. He's going to, you know, maybe even mix in an on-the-run drop shot that'll just misfoot you, and then you're screwed. And the point is over. But Karatsev was having none of that. Karatsev was hitting the big first serve. He was following it in and, excuse me, serving and volleying and, you know, playing big plus one tennis with his forehand, changing direction. You know, very rarely, if ever, did he hit two balls in the same direction, in the same span of a point, two balls in a row. And in this match, he was 31 of 40, so won 78% of his first serve points, made 63% of his first serves, fought off all four break points he faced, converted three of his 12 break point chances. I mean, Karatsev, it's a little bit of everything. He can play, you know, the big first serve, which he can hit slice out wide, which just gives him so much clay court, open, so much open clay court. And again, it's a lot easier to hit that first ball on the run on a hard court than it is on a clay court. Because if you try and hit on the run down the line, good luck hitting that down the line ball, sliding out of that shot, changing your momentum to cover the cross court volley. Because if you hit a down the line passing shot, this is a very small tactical thing. 
you just give them so much space that if you go down the line, you better hit the winner because all that next shot has to be from your opponent is a made volley on clay, and they're likely winning the point. Uh, you know, that's what Musetti loves to do. He loves to play those slow, mar- you know, those minimal, uh, thin margin. That's not slow margin, thin margin shots. And Kartsev just didn't give him an opportunity to do that because he would go big down the line. He would take the ball early. He attacked the Lorenzo Musetti second serve. Musetti in the match, 16 of 34 on his own second serve points. I mean, Karatsev just, he, he finishes things at the net. He's efficient off of both wings. He can drive the ball cross court, drive the ball down the line. He does hit a heavy forehand as well that can penetrate any court, but in particular, uh, seems to just rip through these clay courts. And, you know, this really shouldn't surprise anyone because Aslan Karatsev, and I tweeted this out, yes, he's 43-9 and nine in his last 52 weeks, and he ripped through the opening portion of this hard court ATP season. So you probably think to yourself, if you don't follow the challenger, Tour that closely. Oh, hard courts must be his best surface. Well, Aslan Karatsev, you know, throughout his career, he's 117 and 76 on clay. That's pretty similar, you know, 61% win percentage. That's exactly the same as his win percentage on hard courts, although it's a slightly bigger sample size on the hard courts. But for Karatsev now, uh, you look at what he was able to accomplish uh, last season and in these last 52 weeks on the clay. You know, Karatsev was, I think, 17 and 2 maybe last year on the clay courts and just, you know, was absolutely incredible. A bunch of his challenger titles that he won last season came on the clay courts. And, you know, again, we saw his hard court challenger success translate uh, to uh, the ATP level. Yeah, 17 and 2, two challenger titles plus a challenger final. It wasn't the most difficult, uh, you know, uh, strength of schedule, but he did get some pretty good wins over, you know, I think he beat Golbus a couple of times, beats Laxon, beats Vesley, beats Robin Haas. So again, those aren't guys who will blow you away with their clay court performances, but Thomas Mahak, he beat as well. But, uh, you know, he just, he was having success on every surface because with his aggressive game style. It doesn't really matter what you're playing on. It just works. He took it to Musetti, gets his first Masters 1000 win on clay. I believe you look now at the ATP level. It's his first just clay court win at the ATP level, but you know, it's not the first clay court win of his career. It shouldn't surprise anyone to see Karatev have success on clay this season. It's just going to translate exactly what you saw on the hard courts. His matchup now against Tsitsipas, get your popcorn ready, folks. Must see TV. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. I'm not going to talk about Alex Diemenauer after he lost his first round match to Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Am I? Well, yeah, I am going to because it is worth noting now for Alex Diemenauer. He's lost four straight ATP matches on clay, losses to Chechenato last year at Roland Garros, a loss to Kofor and Kareno Busta in Rome and Roland Garros in 2019. Uh, yeah, and so he's lost, let's see, four in a row, and oh, this is not going to be great. And this is across challenger and clay uh, levels. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nope, one, two, three, four. Yep, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, so he has lost. Oh man, eight of his last nine matches. No, that that's bad math. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four. So he has lost twelve of his last. And leave that count again, West. Off that right there is how you do it on the job, folks. Twelve of his last thirteen matches on clay. Let me repeat that. 
He's lost 12 of his 13, uh, last 13 matches on clay. It's not great, folks. I, I, I don't know how you talk that away. And it's like, you know, some of the losses, Rude, he, he's lost to Casper Rude, he's lost to Davidovich Fokina twice, he's lost to Dominic Team. he's lost to Hubi Hercats, he's lost to Pablo Carreno Busta, fine. And he's lost to Chechenato twice as well. But, like, aren't those matches he should be winning? Now, it is worth noting, of those 12 of those 13 losses, uh, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, six, 5 of them went the distance. And... Uh, you know, six of them, excuse me, went the distance. Fine. But that's just, you look for him in his matches. His first serve is significantly less effective on clay than it is on hard courts. On clay, he wins only 63% of his first serve points. On hard courts, he wins about 71% of them. On clay, 50% of his second serve points, 53% of his hard court uh, of his uh, of his second serve points he wins on hard court. His hold percentage on clay, 68%. His hold percentage on hard courts, 80%. Now the sample size is significantly smaller, but those numbers aren't great. His serve becomes less effective and his returning numbers stay pretty similar although he actually is less effective against first serves on clay and his total return points are down as a result, but Losing 12 of your last 13 clay court matches, it's tough. It's tough for Alex D. Manauer. And again, I, it's just the lack of a big weapon. The, the serve is so attackable, and then he's playing defense, and he's also a guy who scrambles so well on hard courts, and it's just harder to scramble on clay. And again, all the credit in the world to Davidovich Fokina, who bounces back from a bad result last week, gets a good victory here. You saw the little smirk on his face. Uh, he This one was big for him because he and De- Demon Hour peers. They've come up through the junior rankings together, similar in ages. But, you know, Davidovich Fokina... A similar athlete to Demon Hour just moves a little bit more fluidly on the clay, and then he's a little bit more explosive in the ball he hits from the baseline. So that was a fun match. You know, disappointed in Ugo Umber as well. I feel like against John Millman, particularly on clay, it's a very winnable match, but Millman was just a tough out physically, moved the ball really well around the court. He wins in straight sets. Jordan Thompson wins 7-6 in the third in one of the stranger matches you'll see against Benoit Paire to advance to the round of 32. Big win for him on the clay. And then, you know, Tommy Paul gets retirement from Pedro Martinez. David Goffin, three-set winner over Marin Cilic. Those are the results we've seen in Monte Carlo thus far in terms of the action we have on tap for us all tomorrow. Should be a fun day of play. You look, hopefully, I mean, it's a loaded schedule because of how much rain we saw yesterday to cancel out the play. But in theory tomorrow, here's who we've got. Fonini Kesmanovic, FAA Garen. Hello, Uh, The debut of no longer Uncle Tony, just Tony Nadal in camp for or in the FAA camp. You've got uh, Tsitsipas, Karatsev, Davidovich, Fokina, Berrettini, you know, Evans, Lajevic, Dimitrov, Struf, uh, Fritz versus Bautista, Agut. You've got Rune versus Rude, Sinego versus Fucevic, Bublik versus Chardy. I mean, just up and down the board. Come on. Come on now. That's what we want out of our tennis, folks. We are going to have a super day in Monte Carlo. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. 
partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hartrue has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard Truth in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Want to talk now about the action we have going on this week in Charleston. Again, it's the second part of a two-week swing, and shout out to the entire team in Charleston. That's the way to do it in this pandemic. It just makes the most sense. It's the most efficient. Keep the players in place, in location. Let them get comfortable. You know, Shout out to, again, the Charleston team. They're offering players the opportunity to get vaccinated on site. That's just an incredible, uh, incredible offer, an incredible, uh, again, um, effort by this team uh, to facilitate that sort of opportunity for so many of these players. And, you know, now that we're entering week two, the tennis is only going to get better. And we saw our top seeds have a lot of success on the day. You look at, uh, you know, uh, I believe all of our seeds actually advance on the day. Now, there were two three-set matches. Unfortunately, there was a retirement in the third set in the Hibino Misaki Doi match. Doi, actually the number five seed, the only seed to be upset after she retired in the third set. Three hours of physical tennis in that one. A big winner on the day was Shelby Rogers. 0-1 victory over Katie McNally. And you look for Shelby Rogers, what she's been able to do uh, throughout this season. Rogers, you know, she's had a ton of success in the 31 matches she's played since the tour resumed back in August. She's now, or excuse me, more than that, in the 34 matches, she is 23-11 uh, and 11 over that time span. That includes, you know, quarterfinals at the U.S. Open, round of 16, Australia. Australian Open. Now, last year, <coughs> excuse me, she had a limited clay court season because she made that deep run at the U.S. Open and her ranking, you know, wasn't as high as it is now, but she's going to have the opportunity to get comfortable on the clay courts this year. And you look for her in her career, uh, you know, clay courts. She's had a decent amount of success, 69 and 61 overall. You look for her on the WTA Tour level, 35 and 32. But she's made a Roland Garros quarterfinal before, back in 2016. And, you know, she's made runs to in WTA final in uh, on clay. She's done it, I think, a couple of times. She did it in 2014. She did it back in 2016. Uh, so this is a surface she has had success on. And given how fit she is right now, how comfortable she is with her movement. I mean, with her serve, with her ability to take huge cracks at the return of serve, she's going to be the one dictating. And you know what's really freaking hard to do? I'm going to repeat myself so much over these next few months. But play off of your back foot. 
in a clay court match. And Shelby Rogers makes you play on your back foot. She's been sensational here, again, really since the tour, since before the tour resumed in August, dating back to when we saw her at the exhibition in Lexington back in July. She's someone who made the most of the training block that the COVID-19 pandemic presented uh, for those diligent enough and capable, I suppose, fortunate enough to be able to make it a training block. And we've seen those results pay, or, you know, we've seen that hard work pay dividends over the last 52 weeks. So, you know, tough result for McNally, tough draw for McNally. Rogers, a particularly bad matchup, just kind of does everything McNally wants to do a little bit better right now. But she was your most impressive performer of the day in Charleston. She is someone absolutely to watch here in the draw. Your number three seed of the week. In terms of the other victors, Lauren Davis, such a tough out. We saw her have success last week. We saw her. Who'd she knock out last week? Was it Belinda Bencic that she ended up beating? Let me see. For Lauren Davis last week. I mean, again, I apologize. Some of these matches. No, she didn't beat Bencic. Bedosa beat Bencic. She beat Kennan. That's who she beat. She beat Sonia Kennan, indeed, in three sets. You look for her here to kick off Charleston 2, a 7-6-6-4 victory over Coco Vandway, who it's nice to see her healthy. And back on court. Big win for Clara Tawson, the talented young Dane making transition to the clay courts. 3-3 three and three win for her over Samsonova and then Madison Bringle, your number 8 seed. A three-set win over Vickel and Seva to advance to the next round. You look at the draw here this week. Some of the players who played last week electing to take this week off, but your number one seed, Own Jabour, I believe will begin her tournament tomorrow. Your number two seed, Magda Lynette, going to take on Bogota champion from last week, uh, Maria Camila Osario Serrano, uh, who, of course, 2019 Junior U.S. Open champion, former world junior number one, now top 150 player in the world. That should be a fun one. Arani McHale tomorrow should be fun. Number four seed, Alize Corn. Going to kick off her campaign. Hometown sweetheart Emma Navarro taking on Martin Sova. Uh, Danka Kavinich, who was a final a finalist last week, she's going to take on Tamova. So, you know, up and down the uh, the board. Onjabur, by the way, your number one seed, also going to kick off her campaign. So, you know, we've still got plenty of players uh, who are going to be big parts of this clay court season. And again, if last week was any indication, we should expect some fun. Definitely a little fun but certainly some fun this week in Charleston. I want to talk briefly now about the ATP Challenger events we've got going on this week. We'll save the big breakdowns for when we have David Gertler on the Great Shot podcast, but the return of ATP North American Challenger Tennis in Orlando, too tempting to pass up. You look up and down the draws. As someone who grew up a fan of American men's tennis, followed all these players closely, it's the Super Bowl for me here this week in Orlando. Number one seed, Steve Johnson. Number two seed, uh, Yatsutaka Uchiyama. Your number three seed this week, Mackie McDonald. Your number four seed, Tiago Sabathville. You've got Dennis Kudla in the draw. You've got Jack Sock in the draw. Bjorn Fertangelo in the draw. If that's your flavor of spice, you've also got, let's just look at the college tennis players. Uh, Kevin King, Georgia Tech, Ty Kwiatkowski, Virginia, Jason Jung, Go Blue, Jensen Brooksby, who knocked off Jason Jung and just continues to shine at the ATP Challenger level. Uh, one in four victory for him. He was a Baylor Bear for a hot second. Mackie McDonald, UCLA. 
First-round matchup between Alexander Kovacevic, the current Illinois senior All-American and former USC national champion Roberto Quiroz. You have my attention, Braden Schnur, former UNC All-American. He advances today uh, in straight sets, and he's going to take on Cleveland Challenger champion Bjorn Fertangelo, a three-set win over Cleveland Challenger semifinalist, former USC national champion Emilio Gomez. You've got a battle between Ohio State's Mikhail Torpegard, UCF. Uh, UCF, excuse me, USF's Roberto Sid. You've got Michael Moe versus Martin Dam. You've got Mitchell Kruger in action. Uh, of course, Chris Eubanks, former Georgia Tech All American, taking on Steve Johnson. I think I just listed, I would say, 91%. I may have missed two or three players in the draw. I didn't talk, talk about Gunaswaran or Ebden or Wantanuki. But you want to know the players I'm going to be watching most closely. Who are the players who can make the sneaky runs? Brooksby's unseated. I don't think anything sneaky about him at this point. If he can get through the winner of Kwiatkowski or Chelik Bellick, I think the winner of that Kwiatkowski Chelik Bellick uh, match, uh, you know, uh, whoever wins that, and then the winner of that versus Brooksby, I think that person is your semi finalist. I also think that person is maybe even your finalist, although in that next quarter, I think Mackie, oh, excuse me, I think Mackie McDonald's going to be your finalist. He has been just simply put better uh, than. He's been a top 50 player on hard courts. He won a challenger title back in Nur Sultan. He made that second week run at the Australian Open. He's the guy who comes in in best form. He's probably the favorite, although I hope we get to see him play Kovacevic. I would love to see how Kovacevic handles the pace of Mackie McDonald. You know, Jack Sock is dangerous in that section as well, but... Give me McDonald versus Brooksby, and then McDonald to make the the final on the bottom half. In terms of the top half... I think Bjorn Fertanzel is ready to make the top 100. That's how good he looked in Cleveland. I think he makes the semifinals. I think he t- faces, and I know this is a boring pick, but either Kudla or Johnson. I'm leaning Kudla, and I think a Fertanzel-Kudla matchup is always exciting. But those are just the guys I've seen have the best form. I know Fertangelo unseated. That's where I would put my money on. Uh, but overall, should be fantastic tennis. Again, we've got Mike C on the call. If you haven't seen Martin Dam, I think he's 18 years old. Now the American six foot five, six foot six, fluid can hit the cover off of the ball. Uh, really, really fun uh, player to watch. A lefty as well. So just another name to throw into the mix of exciting young players uh, out there right now. So excited to see him play. A really, you know, Michael Moe is going to make that match physical. Michael Moe is going to handle your plus one shot, make you put the ball away, hit a second ball low at your feet. We'll see how Dam handles that. He's going to have opportunities to be on his front foot, but again, that should be. A really fun match in Orlando, and it should just be a spectacular week of tennis that we will talk about more when we have David Gertler on the podcast later this week. In terms of the other action on the Challenger Tour, we've got the clay event in Serbia. Fun match of first round, Carbeas Benja versus Rinderneck. I'll take that. We already had an upset. My guy, Sebastian Ofner, uh, knocks out number three seed, Daniel Galan. Got to give a shout out to Brandon Nakashima. He's more comfortable on hard courts than clay. What's he doing this week? Going to play clay court challenger tennis in Belgrade. Love that decision from him. He's a guy to circle. You know, your number two seed, by the way, in Belgrade, Fasundo Bagnus. Your number four seed, Philip Kohlschreiber, number three seed. Seed here this week, Daniel Galan already knocked out your other seeds. Francisco Serendolo, the number five seed, your number six seed here on the week, still in play. Taro Daniel, the seven, Hugo Delian, the eight, Ben Bonzi. Uh, you know, Liam Brody, it knocked off Nikola Miljevic, two guys who 
are in very good form of late. Uh, crazy to see Surandolo already knocked out by Kovalik, but uh, again, should be a fun week of action in Belgrade, and then in terms of the action in Croatia, in Split, also on the red clay, uh, out in Croatia, your number one seed, Gregoire Barrer, number two seed, Mark Pullmans, number three seed on the week, Huko Gaston, number four seed, Mohamed Safwat, already knocked out by Matthias Borg. In terms of some of the other dangerous floaters, Tanasi Kokonakis uh, in the draw, I see Casper uh, Zuk uh, also in the draw, Zdenek Kolar, a qualifier here this week after he won a challenger two weeks ago. He faces number two seed Mark Pullmans. Uh, yeah, that's how fickle a sport tennis is, folks. But again, overall, should be a very, very exciting week of tennis on the challenger level. Last thing I'm going to do for you all quickly, that quick clay ELO rating takeaway because sometimes I just can't help myself. Here's the biggest differences right now. And again, we talked about this on a Great Shot podcast last week with Tennis Abstract founder Jeff Sackman. But for those of you curious, you know, ELO rating measures who you play. So if it's a Hatchinov Sinner first round match, the person who wins that match isn't going to be penalized just because it's a first round match. If you get that win, you know, you're going to be rewarded regardless of the round it happens in. Here are just some players to keep in mind where, you know, Tennis Abstract, who can filter for clay-specific results, some players whose ELO ratings are notably higher or just notable in comparison to their actual ATP or WTA rankings, and whether you're a gambler or just someone who, when you see a big result, be like, yeah, well, ELO rating told me this was going to happen. This wasn't actually an upset. You know, on the men's side, Christian Guerin, not going to surprise anyone. Number seven, Elo, actually ranked 23. Laszlo Jure, finalist last week, 13 Clay Elo. He's actually ranked 84. Munar, finalist last week, number 21 on Elo. He's actually ranked number 84. Francisco Surindolo's Elo is going to take a hit. Was number 25 before his loss here today. He's actually ranked number 115. Carlos Alcaraz, number 27, ranked by Elo. He's actually ranked 170. Yannick Hanifman, number 30. He's number 96. Sebastian Baez, number 37 by ELO, 218 by his ATP ranking. Now, again, these facts, not going to be news to anyone who listens to our Cracked Rackets podcast, but certainly fun facts uh, that I thought all of you listeners would enjoy. On the women's side, Sloane Stevens, number 53 in the world right now, number 8. By Clay Court, a ELO rating. Petra Martic, number 21 in the world. We haven't heard much from her of late, but we get to her portion of the season now. She's number 9 in ELO rating. Fiona Farrow, number 11 by Clay ELO, number 57 in the actual rankings. Podoroska, 12 by ELO. Of course, she was a semifinalist last year at the French, number 46 by actual ranking. Bedosa Jaber, 16 62 splits. Again, I'm just saying ELO rating first, then their actual rating. Irena uh, Camilla Bergu, 20. 23 by ELO, 74 by ranking Teague, 26, 63. Bouchard, number 30, ELO, number 119, actual ratings. Danzig, number 32, number 79. Again, it's just an observation. 
you have to remind yourself, and I know I'm not telling anything new to you, Clay Court, uh, to you Cracked Rackets fans, but the results at the beginning of this Clay Court season are going to be funky, and the trends are there to be seen. If you're looking for just a reminder, who are the players who are a little bit better on Clay Courts than they are on Hard Courts, who are a little bit undervalued right now in the rankings or in a draw by seeding compared to what you know their Clay Court level can be? Uh, Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings are a really good way to filter out these sorts of specifics. And I just wanted to, again, bring that resource, bring that attention to all of you listeners as we wait for these rankings to adjust over the next few months, really over the next few years. But not going to get into the rankings debate once again today. Just wanted to, again, make that observation for you to round out today's podcast. But that's your action happening tomorrow. Excuse me across the ATP and WTA Tours, and your action happening this week in Monte Carlo and Charleston. Of course, we will be back here day in, day out to recap each day's action. I am going to get a guest on this mini break. I'm sure some of you are sick of hearing my ranting, but if you'd love to hear a plethora of conversations on all things happening in the tennis world. Go check out our Great Shot podcast feed, David Gertler, Chris Halliors, Matt Stachowiak, Jeff Sackman, Ben Rothenberg. I, mean, I can go on and on on the contributors who have been kind enough to join me on that podcast to talk about all things happening in the tennis world. If you want to hear those conversations, you can find that podcast on our website or wherever you listen to your shows. And as always, I will ask, please like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out podcast. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty tennis balls again uh cracked interviews wise this week we had uh we were fortunate to be joined by pear nilsson of uh the pepperdine women's tennis head coach we also i believe are going to have some from the pressers all of you from this week's action in charleston so be on the lookout for those but with that in mind for super producers fligner and westoff for our friends at midwest sports and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex Gruskin. you know what we say that's the break we'll talk to you all tomorrow Thanks, everyone.